You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by SunWiz, makers of PV cell software, and Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid and the new electric vehicle website, thedriven.io. If you haven't already been there, please go and visit it. It's um, got some interesting stuff there. Joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, how are you? Yeah, I'm terrific, Giles. It's an honour and a pleasure to be here as always. Look, and um, we've just been fired up by our new theme music. I hope everybody was up, up, up and dancing around. So, um, we're so now. I love we, it. We are, look, we're just so now. We're just so now. And if you did miss out on the opportunity to dance to the music in the introduction, then there will be no, about, no doubt be an opportunity to dance <laughs> on the way out with the exit and the outro. Keep your shoes and, at the side. Keep your shoes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, look, probably a good... I'm going to throw in a thank you to our sponsors nice and early, actually. Solar Analytics, of course, and SunWiz. Um, PV cell, um, all energy. Um, all energy. I thought you were going to set up a booth and have about two dozen interviews for us, but um, you just sort of run off your pants. Well, look, we we actually run off your feet. Sorry, we did a bunch of video interviews, Giles, um, which will will release over the coming months, and uh, some of that will release as audio as well. Um, but yeah, for us, you know, our biggest challenge we had twelve people on our booth, and we were three or four customers deep uh, for the full two days. So um, I didn't get to do any uh, podcast recordings, but we will do some audio recordings out of the video. It was uh, it was just huge. huge. Yeah, it was indeed huge. I just um, yeah, I couldn't believe how many people there were. Um, do you know what? Believe- do you know what the numbers were? By the way, I, I didn't hear anyone announce the final numbers. Everyone was sort of suggesting it was bigger than it's ever been before, and certainly the size of the hall and the size of the booths that were there suggest that it was bigger than before. It was huge, and um, I actually yeah, chaired a couple of sessions. Um, in the electric vehicle stream, and we had to close the doors and lock people out. Is that right? Um, that many people coming in there, and I think that was the case for some other streams as well. Um, no, I don't have a final number apart from lots, and um, <laughs> it was um, yeah, no, it was pretty busy. That the number of booths, the number of booths down there and displays was was extraordinary, and also the vibe was pretty interesting too, pretty positive. And yep. um, look, what impressed me, and, and look, we discussed a, li- a little bit on that live podcast that we did there and that we just sort of put up a couple of days ago, um, that it was, to me, it was kind of talking about the next stage of this transition, not just sort of buying hardware and throwing it on the roof or putting it somewhere. It was really about all these enabling technologies, the storage, the um, the monitoring, the sharing, the um, mm. virtual power plants, all these things mm. which, um, and, as, and, and as you pointed out, you know, we, we hear so much whinging out there in um, mainstream media land and mainstream political land about the difficulties of having wind and solar. But um, if you wanted the solutions, they were there. They were all there. We've actually got an interview. Um, look, I might just play it now, actually. I, um, I've been talking to these guys for the last couple of years, and I finally did an interview with them. It's Cynic. It's not a well-known German battery brand, but it's actually one of the top-end um, battery makers, one of the big three in Germany. And um, they've, um, they're making, um, looking to make a bit of a splash in Australia. And it was interesting talking to them just about not just their stories and their plans, but also the contrast between Germany and Australia. And I also got a chance to um, talk to them about the state of the Germany Energiewende, the German energy transition. Oh, yeah. So 
We're going to hear from um, Yaron Schechter and his local representative, Ian Parkinson, who I should add is no relation. Here we go. So, Jaron Schechter, the CEO of Seneca, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. And Ian Parkinson, the head of the um, um, Australian Operations and uh, No Relation. No, that's correct. No Relation. And thank you very much. Yeah, it's good to be here. Jaron, you've just um, joined Cinec, but Cinec's just had an interesting transformation. It's been bought out by one of the big three utilities in Germany, ENBW. Explain to me why that's significant. Uh, that's that's very significant because if you look at the market, especially in Germany, which is the most competitive battery and, and smart intelligent energy system market in the world, uh, there's been several startups uh, like Zonen, like E3DC and like us that have been competing for market share. Uh, and we've been always among the top three. But it's very clear that there's going to be a consolidation in the market space. Um, and in the past, that was basically growth fueled by debt. Um, and we were starting to get to the utility companies by taking out tens of thousands of people out of the energy contracts through a smart energy system and then being also an energy provider on top of that. Um, and with ENBW making that move, with E3DC also having been taken out of the market, you start to see a consolidation there. Um, and with us now really having long-term strategic backing, uh, it means we can really take a completely new look at our roadmap. So what sort of, why is the likes of Ian, um, Ian BW um, buying battery storage and, and what are they looking to do with it? So basically the, the, the first reason for that is if you, if you look at the German market, um, there's, there's a major strategic shift from um, the, the, um, the, the past energy uh, ways of, of producing it. Um, into renewables and into really a decentralized energy system. And, and Zenec is really a core part of that, um, having taken more than 18,000 households out of their, out of their um, classic power generation. Um, that's the first one. But the other one is that if you look at the shift into EV, if you look into the shift of digital services, um, it is very, very clear that things will need to come together in the household and that the energy system is just the underlying foundation to then provide other services on top of it. So basically these big utilities are now starting to own that space. So they're, they're, not, they're no longer seeing rooftop solar battery storage and such things as a threat to their business. They actually see that as their future business. Yeah, they, they definitely see that they need to embrace it. Um, is it going to be millions of contracts, which is the scale that they are used to operate at? No, uh, it's, it's probably not going to be that over the next two to three years. Um, but if you look at the German market in 2021, we're going to see another major shift with about 1.6 million PV installations uh, coming out of the government subsidies. And the moment that they do, the concept of storing your own energy uh, will become more lucrative. Um, and um, then with the battery be really being the heart of an energy management system, um, that's another 1.6 million households that will come onto the market for that. So they are really preparing for that shift. So they've benefited from quite a solid um, feed-in tariff up till now, and then they'll have to sort of think differently about their energy use after that. Yeah, exactly. Just before we get onto the Australian operations, um, I'm just kind of interested in, um, in, in what's happening in Germany, because we do hear a lot about it. I mean, Germany is the home of the Energiewender and the transition to renewables. Is it still something which the German government and the German um, people embrace very heavily? I mean, is it still going forward at the same pace with the same long-term ambitions? 
the people are definitely embracing it. So this is a bottoms-up movement, uh, and we clearly see that there's there's two drivers for for buying PV and for buying a Zenex system. Uh, the number one driver is really independence and really creating your own energy, storing it and creating something good for your future, for your family, um, and so on. The other driver is really economic perspective. Um, it pays off to take a battery. German consumers are taking a bit more of a long view on this. They are, they are fine with a 12, 13 year payback period, whereby Australians, from what I hear, uh, are taking a bit of a shorter view. Yes. Um, they also move houses a bit more often. Um, so um, Germans are really also smart at calculating uh, their, their long-term uh, paybacks and uh, this is the other driver behind it. It's an interesting point, isn't it, Ian? I mean, I've long sort yeah. of been, been aware that in Europe they do own houses for a lot longer and probably got a longer view. Years. I think it's 15 years in, in Europe owning a house while in Australia, I think it's about six years we own a house for. So therefore, it's a lot. you can plan a lot longer on paying back your battery in Europe opposed to Australia where the decision will be whether to keep the battery with the house or to take it with you. So where are the interesting points in the market in Australia? Well, for Senec, um, with the intelligence storage system, we're seeing with the rebates coming in that the marketplace is now opening up for us and having the intelligence storage system where we can be able to do the single phase and this two phase which seems to be around in South Australia and around, the, around Western Australia as well in the country, that we cover all the options for the installer. And uh, being the Senec, we have a product which is easy for one installer to install. It only needs one person to take into the place. So entering into the market now, it seems to be the right time for us to, to push in hard now um, and get, get people interested in a premium product, which is not just the battery system, but a really intelligent storage system, which a lot of people don't really understand yet. We find here at the market, everybody compares us with the BYD and the LG price, but they don't actually realize that we're a total system which is an intelligent storage system. So we're more a power management system with batteries. So we'll bring a lot more to the market than just a battery. And these rebates that have been announced in South Australia and Victoria, do you see that giving a good fillip to the market? We're seeing that that's really opened up the door that people will be prepared to spend a, a bit more money buying premium um, where they would have had to pay a higher price before. Now it's brought it down to a price where I feel that people will be very interested in buying setting. And uh, Jaron, um, tell us where, how Australia sort of fits into the sort of the global scheme of things as far as, you know, Senate looks at the global market. So where does Australia fit in? So uh, we see Australia as one of the most interesting markets. We feel that in the, in the long view, it's, it's got about 2.5 to 3 times the potential of the German market. If you just look at the household structure, then um, Australia with uh, its, its inhabitant structure is about a quarter of the size of Germany, um, but it has about the same amount of residential units that are self-owned. Uh, and that is definitely the most attractive market for people to invest into smart energy. And uh, given, given the fact that contrary to Germany, the sun is basically always shining in Australia, you've got a bit of, of a different energy consumption footprint. It's very, very clear that it's a very interesting market. Um, globally, one of the most attractive, definitely in the top four to five. At the same time, if you look at the structure of how PV was introduced into this market, uh, there are a few things that I find quite unique to Australia. Uh, you see people with a very high energy consumption, but with a very, very small PV installation. Uh, you would see something uh, almost contrary to that in Germany. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Yes, it's been a bit haphazard in in in, in many ways. Um, what people have done with um, with PV, um, it's been kind of like putting a badge on top of the roof, but not really thinking too much about what you're doing <laughs> with it. Yeah, ex exactly. I mean, as as I said, Germans are really calculating, and you need to really argue your case. And we look at the at the energy footprint of the household. We look at at the energy price that they have. We look at the consumption profile for the future, and then we calculate all of that together, and we see this is this is the PV that. That you need this is the storage that you need and here in Australia it just looks like people just went out and sold at a very low price where people said yeah sure at that price I'm gonna get some PV but it just doesn't match their household consumption it's an interesting one well hopefully sort of storage and intelligent software can actually help us get out of um, you know the conundrum that we've created I'm, I'm quite sure it will, and I'm quite sure that EV will also be a driver for that, um, because what we're seeing in Germany is at this stage only 13% of the German population is actively looking at uh, electric mobility. But then everyone that does, everybody that really gets uh, interested in it, 80% of them turn into the PV discussion straight away because it's very, very clear that if you add electrical mobility to your household, um, you really need to think at how can I produce this energy and then together with a Zenek, how could I even use that energy that I produce on the go and charge when I'm on the road, for example. Fascinating. Well, th thanks very much for talking to us, um, Jaren and, um, and Ian. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. So look, that was um, Senen, uh, the German battery storage maker, uh, Jaron Schachter and Ian Parkinson. Um, interesting stuff, hey? Look, interesting yeah, stuff. Yeah, look, it's interesting to hear some. I mean, look, you're not, not one of the not one of the main people, but. Um, yeah, look, I just like the, I, I like the comparison he makes. It's saying in Germany we wouldn't put um, no, I'm not going to do an accent. We wouldn't just put one or two kilowatts on a roof when you're big energy users. Then why the hell do you do it in Australia? So um, it's a good question about why we do lots of things in Australia. But um, look, some good news. Let's go to some quick good news now. Just about solar. Uh, Warwick from uh, sponsor Sunwiz um, has put out his latest stats: 125 megawatts on the roof added to the rooftops of Australia, small scale over the last month. That takes us over one gigawatt for the year. Um, so we've established a record and we've still got three months to go. More importantly, we're at seven and a half gigawatts, Australia's total. Stunning number, isn't it? So that, that uh, where does that put us? That, that puts us uh, almost into double digits, I would think. Uh, uh, yeah, well into double digits in terms of our proportion of overall capacity now. Um, in the market and um, you know on those topics that we were talking about down at All Energy around you know how, how material our role is becoming and what the challenges are that we face you know um, there's clearly no sign of this uh, this runaway train slowing down based on the numbers that Warwick's projected very exciting stuff. Yeah, look, and one of the things that Warwick notes is the increased size in the installations, which I guess goes partly to the um, increase in commercial solar. But um, while we're on the topic, and also just sort of picking up on what the guy from Cynic said, um, you've seen some analysis from the ATA, the... Um, um, about looking at larger solar systems and why they offer a quicker payback than smaller systems. Give us a brief rundown about why that is. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the short version of it is, as, as everybody has kind of have uh, calculated themselves, the ATA has got a great little calculator that they use and give advice to their members. And that calculator shows yet again, even if you're exporting heaps of energy, 
it really just makes sense to put as much as you possibly can on the roof. Um, you know, there, historically, I remember a lot of talk and a lot of a lot of sales of equipment was that was um, a theoretically expandable in the future. And of course, the reality is that what we found is that a standards standards change. Um, uh, you know, actually adding additional capacity to existing systems is not as easy as as a lot of us thought it might be in the early days. Um, not least of which because the standards are changing, and so you find that the existing array is no longer compliant. It has to be fixed. So, what do you do? Well, the short answer, as the ATA have found now, is don't worry about how much you're exporting. Put as much as you can possibly can on the roof. Um, uh, you know, get ready for batteries. Get ready for electric vehicles. Fill your roof up. Do it once. Do it really well. Um, and really, the only thing that you've got to be careful of is the export limits uh, that that apply to some of the network operators. But um, yeah, go big or go home, as they say. Indeed. And look, um, before we move on to other stuff, I just thought I might mention this one too, about the one megawatt solar PV plant being stuck right next to the reactor sarcophagus in Chernobyl. This is a great, I I love this story, not only because it utilizes the electrical uh, transmission and distribution software uh, um, infrastructure that's in place at Chernobyl, um, but I actually really like this for sentimental personal reasons because when I was a young lad, uh, I did what a lot of Aussies do. I took my girlfriend, we jumped in a combi van, we drove around Europe aimlessly. And um, I was driving around Europe aimlessly, as you do. We went to buy some some supplies. Driving around Europe, bumping into sarcophaguses. <laughs> well, we, we were aware that Chernobyl had happened, right? We were there about six months after it went off. And we were aware of it, but it wasn't really front of mind. And of course, social media wasn't a thing then. Um, and we didn't really give it a whole lot of thought. We just, you know, I don't remember mum and dad saying, cripes, don't go, the whole place could be radiated. Um, so we went, but we went into a fruit and veg shop. And um, we noticed some tomatoes, uh, which had a nuclear radiation symbol on them. We eventually found someone who could speak English and said, look, why are these, why are these tomatoes allegedly radioactive? And they said, well, you know, Chernobyl. And, you know, they come from an area where it means that they could have been affected by fallout. And so, you know, they're on special. Um, so, you know, that was, that, was, that was the moment, the defining moment in my life, Giles, when I realised that energy, there was a price to pay for energy. Um, I'd never really given it any thought up until that point in time that, you know, there was something really serious here to think about, um, about the, 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 the wider impacts on society and, and, and the global community when it comes to your ability to switch the, switch the lights on. Um, so I'm personally super excited to see the transition that's happened in Chernobyl and, and making good use of that infrastructure. Indeed. Hey, look, let's get back onto local levels. Um, interestingly, a, um, the Queensland Government Ombudsman has done a bit of a um, assessment on some of the local retailers, and um, it gives us a result of which the federal government might not be proud of. Now, let's remember that the federal government is um, the, um, the uh, sole owner now of Snowy Hydro, which owns two retailers, Red Energy and Lumo Energy, mm-hmm. which actually puts itself in the remarkable position of being able to influence prices, I would have thought, um, mm-hmm. because it now owns this um, Gen Taylor. It keeps on complaining about the way that the Gen Taylors are manipulating prices and, um, you know, doing the bad things on, on, in, in wholesale markets and retail markets. I haven't seen much evidence of it actually doing very much with its own wholly owned subsidiary, but um, didn't get a good report card from the, um, from the ombudsman. 
No, it didn't. And and I, I was quite intrigued by this because, you know, uh, what this was about was the level of complaints. So it was about how well you're servicing your customers. And there were a whole bunch of different categories. Um, the, the One of the biggest ones was uh, one of the biggest complaint categories, if you like, um, was um, about high billing, billing errors, um, 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 and, and just getting good service and, and, and a huge increase in the number of complaints about um, transfers. So if you change provider, you know, getting a new meter installed. Um, there's been a lot of problems with digital metering since they changed the rules up there and they haven't really kept up. And, and although the, most of the news folk, and, and although the, most of the news focused on the absolute number of, and, and in that category, Click Energy uh, received the, the highest absolute number of complaints and the biggest increase in the number of complaints. So it certainly got all the attention. But actually, when you look at the numbers provided by the energy ombudsman, it calculates the average complaint to customer ratio. And the worst scoring retailer on their graph was the federal government-owned retailer Lumo Energy. And that says a lot about the government's disingenuity or disingenuineness uh, when it comes to actually delivering good service. Here we are, you know, they're, they're, they're out there saying, yeah, retailers have got to lift their game, they've got to do better, they've got to do better, they've got to do better. And lo and behold, um, um, a government-owned retailer has just been slammed by the state government's own ombudsman. This is an appalling result for the federal government. Um, not only have they done nothing about um, you know, using the opportunity with Lumo and Red Energy to actually bring prices down for consumers, um, but indeed, they're also offering the worst level of service um, in the entire state of Queensland. Appalling. Well, it is appalling. It certainly gives them something to work on. I mean, um, perhaps they can, um, you know, um, we had the it's a renovator's minister. It's a renovator's dream. Well, you know, um, you know we, we, had, we had the uh, Federal Environment Minister, Melissa Price, talking about building trees. So maybe they can sort of, you know, build on um, the foundations of this new um, energy retailer. And um, and try and make amends. Um, yeah, what's what's going on with Melissa Price, mate? I, I listened to that speech earlier on, and um, you know, frankly, you know, here's the IPC and and the best scientists in the world coming out and suggesting that um, yeah, we've really got to get off our tails, and you know, our energy productivity in Australia is is woeful compared to other countries around the world. Absolutely woeful, and and you know, still almost negative. Um, and, 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 you know, we've, we've got hopeless productivity, we've got rising prices, we've got energy retailers owned by the federal government who have got woeful service, um, and, and, and now we've got the environment minister uh, suggesting the IPCC has got no idea what they're talking about and, you know, is kind of way off the mark. Absolutely, it's, yeah, well, um, oh, yeah, well, look, um, um, you know, I, I, bewildering. I think... Look, I think in the word of, words of um, Paul Barry on um, ABC's Media Watch the other night, I think um, the basic summary of it is batshit crazy. Um, they're basically, um, you know, they're just sort of dancing to the tune of the Conservatives, um, Sky News after dark. Uh, we've heard from Michael McCormack, the Deputy Prime Minister, the Prime Minister, um, the Energy Minister, Angus Taylor, who was invited to all energy conference and most, noted, most notably did not attend. Um, mm. Interestingly, his predecessor, Josh Frydenberg, had said he would attend. But um, Angus Fraser couldn't bring himself to to turn up, um, even though Parliament wasn't on. Um, interesting, like, interestingly, though, even Josh Frydenberg is talking about, you know, oh, well, if we took out all the coal out of the market now, then the lights would go out. Well, you know, that's just a plain stupid comment. Um, yeah, it is. And, 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 and it's just stupidity upon stupidity, and it's getting us nowhere. 
No, it isn't. And 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 the irony. I mean, uh, when um, when Melissa Price was was challenged on um, you know the fact that our emissions are rising, uh, she cited a whole lot of improvements that have been made in the electricity sector when it came to the reduced emissions in the electricity sector. Well, guess where they came from, Melissa? Guess where they came from? They came from renewables. That's the only place that you can get them, given that our energy productivity is so appalling in Australia. The only place you can get them is the ever-increasing amount of renewables. And yet at the same, you know, so they're happy to take the credit um, and then at the same time discredit it and, and think and, and, you know, stay on their dream that, you know, by 2050 we might have clean coal. Well, guess what? We're already delivering the results for you. Well, exactly. And it was really interesting. She was asked us, asked about, well, how is Australia going to meet its 2030 Paris targets, um, of, you know, which it's way off. I mean, it's like a billion tonnes off mm. in its trajectory. She talked mm. about the Emissions Reduction Fund, which actually has no, no money left. She talked about the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, which is doing a great job. But, um, mm. They've tried to kill them numerous it. times. Um, yeah. Arena, which um, has about $400 million left, um, they tried to kill that. Yeah, um, numerous times. And then something about building trees. Now, That's I'm, right. not, I'm not a botanist. I'm not a botanist. botanist. I'm not a biologist. And I'm not a builder either. But I'm going to lay a back. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to suggest that you actually grow trees. You don't build them. That's it. I know. Hang, hang on, call me, she's, call, she's call me crazy. Minister. Call me crazy. But she's, she's the environment minister, minister, so she must know better. Yes, clearly. She, well, she knows better than she knows better than all the scientists in the IPC. So, so she knows something we don't know about how to get trees. Well, that's exactly right. Look, and we had to delay our podcast because I had the um, the guy with his um, right on mower going round, cutting all the grass. And now I've got to go out and build more grass. <laughs> you can build some more lawn, mate. I can build some more oh. lawn. <laughs> oh, oh, save dear. me, save me, save me. Um, crap solar. Unfortunately, that's still out there. Um, hey, before we go there, before yeah. we go there, it was interesting to see that Solar Victoria, this new institution um, put for by the Victorian government um, for its new fantastic initiative to support um, more solar, more rooftop solar in Victoria, but they've put out another warning about scammers and mm. they've actually set up a, a special unit to try and investigate that. And that's good because we often hear that's about good. scammers around the place and we've, we've quite regularly drawn attention to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good that these guys are actually going to chase them down and, and, and hopefully just sort of keep them out of the market. Yeah, that is fabulous news. And, and I know when I met with them a few weeks ago, they were, um, they were really keen to get on top of those issues and understand how they can help. So it's, it's great to see that happening. And speaking, speaking of people doing good things before we jump into the bad guys... Um, I want to give a shout out to the solar cutters too. They held an event the day before the oil energy conference and there were something in the order of about 500 solar installers. Now, this was just an informal event. They described themselves as a collective of solar installers who want to drive quality into the industry. That's what they want is they want good technological solutions. They want quality provision of services and they want genuinely good solar that's going to deliver the outcomes that consumers want. And that event had such an incredibly good vibe, mostly because it was just people getting together to share a common theme. No one was trying to sell anything to anyone. No one was trying to, you know, make a bigger song and dance. It w- the vibe was just great because there were 500 people in a room um, uh, drinking uh, espresso martinis, admittedly, but <laughs> collectively, collectively wanting to see solar done better. And that created such a positive uh, vibe. It was it was really really cool to see, actually. I mean, commendations yeah, no, look, for the guys involved. 
Absolutely, yeah, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed myself. My one complaint, um, like it was for many of the other um, um, things that um, happened there, was the loud music, and it caused, it caused me to have to sort of shout a lot to, when I was talking to people, and um, by the second day, I'd lost my voice. <laughs> it's, yeah, you, you know. Okay, I'm getting it's old. Hard Move on. Okay, old. okay. <laughs> DC cables. DC cables. DC cables. So, you know, okay, tip number one. Uh, so this is, again, aimed at punters. Um, so if you see your solar electrician with his hole saw cutting a hole in your gutter and inserting DC wires through your gutter, um, question him. I saw the most mind-boggling photo. The second photo I've seen of DC cables in a gutter in recent times. This is on the uh, Always Entertaining Crap Solar website. But literally a, a, a conduit with cables going up through the gutter. This is deadly dangerous and the epitome of stupidity and laziness. Um, but it does happen. So do pay attention, uh, punters, uh, where the cables are going. Make sure they are taking a little bit of extra time and and this is you know you get what you pay for right if you're going out there and trying to buy a five kilowatt system for two thousand bucks you're going to get people sticking cables through your gutters don't do it well that's exactly right yeah and <laughs> we've, we've actually mentioned this problem before and um, i'm, I'm, I'm yeah. presuming that these guys weren't at the um, solid cutters event on that last tuesday night they certainly weren't they certainly weren't number two um the impact of shading and chimneys now this is something that um you know we love to um we love to help with solutions because we have a patent shading algorithm on our on our software that helps us to determine the impacts of shading on solar systems but of course the thing that solar panels really don't like is being in the shade um, chimneys no. stink pipes as they're called um, uh, I mentioned cables and conduits the other day being laid over the top of, sol top of solar panels. If your solar installer says, hey, Mrs. Jones, the solar's all done. We're getting in our truck to go home. Uh, look at the fabulous new solar system on your roof. And they have installed it behind a chimney. Um, then I would suggest you need to start yelling and screaming at them and telling them they're idiots. Um, there are Put the hose on them. <laughs> Put the hose on. That's right. Get the broom out. Sweep them out. Sweep them out. Something. But too many. Uh, you know, photo after photo after photo of of installers just jamming solar panels up against chimneys where they are never going to work. And in fact, they're going to degrade the output of the entire system. Just, just not rocket science, people. So you know, unfortunately, we have to advise customers to watch out for those types of things. Um, a third one is, of course, a little bit more technical, but of course, it is incumbent on um, solar installers and important for solar owners to understand that if you are going to put solar on your home, your wiring uh, may need rectification if it is not up to current standards. It is a legal obligation on solar installers to ensure that... Uh, your wiring is all compliant with the current standards, particularly switchboards. And I know when I put solar on my last place, we had to do a major switchboard upgrade. In fact, we just replaced the whole switchboard. Um, it just didn't make sense. It was too old. We couldn't fix it. So we took the opportunity to upgrade the switchboard. Um, and, and of course, um, even the cables to the street uh, may need to be upgraded in, in some cases. It's incumbent on installers to do their uh, voltage rise calculations and advise you of that. And it's also um, something that consumers need to be aware that if their wiring is not up to scratch, it's, it's not the solar guy's fault. In fact, they're doing you a favour by making your home safer and more compliant. And so if you get hit up for an extra 500 or 1,000 bucks, don't think twice about it. Upgrade your home, get your wiring uh, up to scratch and uh, enjoy the benefits. Good advice all round. 
Now, Nigel, we're just going to move over to battery storage here and a little bit about um, EVs as well. Um, mm. God, um, look, actually, in the last week, it's been interesting um, on electric vehicles. We've had Nissan Leaf um, unveiling its um, uh, second-generation Leaf. Um, disappointingly, mm-hmm. it didn't tell us anything about prices. Mm-hmm. Told us there's a bit more range in this new model. Mm-hmm. Told us it's probably not going to be here till the middle of next year, which seems mm-hmm. to me like a bit of an opportunity lost. Mm. Um, sometimes I just wonder if you're actually looking for lessons about how not to sell a vehicle, um, you might want to go along to these guys. Mm. Um, but they did sort of say so that, um, yeah, they did sort of say that um, one third of their customers do want to buy an electric vehicle. So you'd think they'd actually try and roll that reasonably quickly. Mm. And, and there, was eventually... the, there was an article in the paper last week about um, uh, people complaining about the rising price of petrol, and that's that's caused a spike in interest in EVs uh, recently so? as that'd well. Be, that'd mm. be pretty logical, um, mm. even though EVs are still well out of the ballpark. Although mm. we did get some indications from Hyundai. Um, someone let slip one of so, their pricing things. Yes. Of their, they've, they're rolling out the Ionic at the end of November and Mm. um, look we haven't got the confirmed pricing but we've got a pretty good idea so what's interesting there is that their full electric Ionic will come in around about $45,000 possibly a bit more with on-road costs so sub 50 so we're starting to get there that's getting good yeah yeah, 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 that's pretty respectable I mean when you look at the average price of cars that are out there and the cars that people are driving especially where I live in in Sydney uh, you know there are there are people out there with some uh, very expensive cars and to get the performance level that you can get with an EV um, and also to get, of course, the cost savings, which are enormous, um, you know, the, uh, sub 50, you know, I don't, I'd be really interested to know, you know, we always, we always used to talk about PV in the sense of what's the number, what's the, what's the capital cost that gets people across the line where they go, yeah, that's okay. And what's the payback period that gets people across the line? And payback, it's about um, it's about five years when people can see a payback for PV of five years or less. They kind of go, yeah, sure, that's fine. I can get that. That makes sense. And um, you know, the capital cost now at about five to ten thousand bucks, most people can can pallet that, and it becomes almost a discretionary purchase. Um, Nigel, what was the payback period of your last car? Well, you know, I never thought about it. Exactly. I, I think a lot of people are not going to think about it next time. When they no. see them, they're going to want them, they're going to buy them. That's right. And and I mean, then, I, t- so I, I think the market's going to take off like that. And sure, um, as the prices come down, then um, more people will buy it. And once they get down to the 20s, the smaller models get down to the 20s, um, it's just going to be all go. over. Off we go. And, and we you go. Know, the driving experience, you know, no matter whether you want performance or no matter whether you just want a simple car to drive, the driving experience in an EV is infinitely superior in so many ways what i've still said in that, so um, many ways we should actually take um all all the teslas we can find drive into parliament house in canberra get a coalition senator in each of them and give them a bit of a spin around capital circuit and i think all our problems will be solved mm. um mm. you know it just sort of show that the technology revolution is not that scary at all um, we're just gonna, it's, we've got to bring a trailer to put the, all the coal in oh, shovel it in the back yeah to make it feel good um 
Yeah, look, it's interesting. One of the sessions I chaired there with Senator Tim Storer of The Independent, um, he's actually chairing this EV inquiry. So that's actually going to produce its report on December the 4th. Um, so it's going to be interesting to come to see what sort of incentives um, they're going to recommend. What was really interesting in, in talking to him and, and some of the um, other people involved in that inquiry was that the report was supposed to come out late October, but it's been delayed simply mm. because the CSIRO didn't actually bother doing a submission and the local government department um, produced like a one or two pager and they're basically told by Labor Senator Kim Carr just was saying, you've got to be kidding me, go back, <laughs> produce a submission, come back here, talk to us about it and then we'll consider it. Um, <laughs> Just amazing. Jeez, he, he even just, I managed to pull one out at the last moment and get it, a submission. It's not that hard. I know. They, so that's what they said. Oh, we didn't know about it. You know. Well, <sighs> good grief. I've oh, got lots to do. Oh, look, it we'll takes have to a lot send of them effort. a t-shirt. Send them a t-shirt so they don't he, forget next absolutely. time. Absolutely. Right? Look, it, it, it was hilarious. And I actually just looked at the transcript the other day, and and and, and it's and it's quite a hoot. So um, if you want to read more about that, go to the Driven website, thedriven.io, giving you another plug. Um, and and news on electric motorcycles too. Well, tell I've me got about time it. to slip this in. So Energica are a really interesting Italian company. They've built a kind of what you class as a hyper sports bike, fully electric, um, incredible performance, like really breathtaking, great sports bike. Not a, one, one for the mum and dads. One for the mum and dads. This is one for, you know, this is one for the next generation of electric motorcycles. Not guys like me who are a little bit older and, you know, don't want to, you know, I don't want a rocket ship. I want something that's quick, but I, I don't need a rocket ship. But these things are genuinely fast and they're not hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're coming in, I think, I think if you could get one in Australia, which you can't currently, they'd land at about 50 grand, which is a lot of dough. But in the high end world of electric, of, of petrol motorcycles, that's not outrageous right um but what's really interesting is they have been contracted as the uh electric um, motorcycle constructor of choice for next year's all electric moto e series so along with the moto gp the premier premier class in motorcycle racing from next year there's going to be an all electric class uh, supporting that series which is great to see they've been doing demo laps and there's some great videos circulating but what's interesting is you know clearly they're battling um their stocks are actually suspended from trading uh recently because of the volatility um you know they're only turning over about three million euros a year and you know posted a, a, a huge loss uh this year uh, yet again so you know and they're only oh, sorry their turnover was 1.2 million euros um so they're, they're a tiny tiny little company um but really building some impressive technology and to be able to build uh, you know a, a really a rocket ship of a bike uh, for 50 grand um, yeah, it's it's these are the types of companies that are going to drag us forward, and I think seeing them leap into motorsport, which is where so much, and I've said this time and time again, it's where you see really the big technological developments happen. We've seen that with Formula E, uh, where some of that stuff is already translating into um, EVs on the road. Um, so we're going to see the benefits of this coming, and and um, really really excited. So you know, keep an eye on Energica. I'm going to set. I'm going to sound like a real luddite here, but 50 grand for an electric motorbike. I mean, two wheels and a battery. Is the seat really fancy or something? <laughs> it's Italian, so it looks great. It's lavished with uh, carbon fibre. The seat is black brushed suede in true, with red stitching. True Italian style. It is a beautiful looking machine. Uh, Giles, if I could um, convince my good wife that I needed a $50,000 motorcycle, I would be on one in a flash. Good luck with that, Nigel. Good I hope you're, that. you're listening, honey. <laughs> 
Look, mm. Nigel, um, we better wrap this up because um, I think it's yes. um, we, we do have some people on rowing machines and um, and bicycle rides, <laughs> as we were informed while we we're at All Energy Conference. And thanks to all those who came up to us and said how much they did enjoy oh, the indeed. podcast. Um, really appreciated that. Um, gives us a gives us a real buzz. Um, it was awesome. We've got T-shirts for sale too now. You, you have, have to put T-shirts a, for sale. You'll have to put, uh, put some up on the website. I saw a couple of people wandering around the office with them today. So, oh, uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. And not that expensive either. So not um, that expensive. I, I, think a, I think a 20 does it or something, doesn't it? Or? Yeah, I think something like that. We've got to, what we'll, have we got to we'll raise? 40 million or something. <laughs> 40 million. That's right. Wasn't that the target? What was the 40 million for again? I can't remember. Too. I don't know. Something good. So that we can all buy Energicas, that's what it's for. Well, that's right, yes, yes. Well, how many do we need for a new motorbike, an electric motorbike? Oh, um, yes, that's right, yes. Come get on, Ni- Get Nigel and Energica. There you go. There you go, yeah. Um, if you did, uh, if you hadn't yet, yet caught the um, uh, the live podcast that we did from the um, All Energy Conference, do have a listen to it. It was a pretty good conversation we had. That was um, fun. That was really fun. Well, there was the two of us, and there was David Leach from Energy Insiders, and there was Simon yep. Corbell, who's always fantastic value, and just yep. a really sensible bloke and uh, Glenn Moretti from Tindo Solis who gave us a really good insight into what's happening in South Australia which is kind of mm. at the forefront of all this mm. and we had got a lot of good feedback from the audience they were asking questions and look it did go on for an hour so a bit of extra time in the rowing machine a bit of a longer bike ride a bit more <laughs> in the washing and doing the doing the gardening but um, I think you'll enjoy it <laughs> yeah yeah uh, we, it was a really good fun session so yeah. uh, Glad we're going to do that again. We'll do that again. Look, um, just a final thank you again to our sponsors, Solar Analytics and PV Cell. And get ready, guys. You're just about to get up and dance with the music. Our new, uh, <laughs> our new theme music on the way out. And uh, Nigel, we'll talk again in a couple of weeks. I'm already standing, ready to go. Keep me. Bye now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by SunWiz, makers of PV Cell software that gives retailers the tools to stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar consultancy. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy. Music